0: Following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com.
1: Thank you, uh, Albert. Yeah. Um, hi, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here. My name is Lee, and our reading comes from Acts chapter two, verses one to thirteen. Egypt and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to G- Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. May God bless the reading of his word.
0: <clears throat> this morning, uh, well, let's start with a recap, right? So we're, we're reading in the book of Acts. Uh, we started this new series two weeks ago. Um, we are looking at uh, the continuation of Luke's gospel, right? So the gospel of Luke, written by Luke, to a, a dear friend, Theophilus, right? And in that book, he's laying out the argument for Jesus, that Jesus was the promised Messiah uh, that's what the gospel is all about and then he continues on in the book of acts with the second letter to his friend theophilus that is laying the foundation for what that means right so book number one the gospel or letter number one his gospel who jesus is part two the book of acts what it, what does that mean what it change? what does it do and that's what we're looking at um for quite some time we'll be will be in the book of acts for close to a year uh so i hope you like deep dives uh cuz that's what we're doing um, the last 2 weeks uh we've been we've been examining the fir- chapter 1 basically we split chapter 1 into 2 weeks we have been looking at um, what happened after jesus's death right the book of acts picks up after jesus died um in chapter one we talk a little bit about uh jesus's reappearance and um the evidence the proof he gives his believers that he is in fact alive that the story was not over at his death on the cross that he was raised from the dead. Um, and so chapter One he visits he spends uh, close to forty days with the believers, reminding them, reassuring them, reinforcing the teaching that we read through in uh, in the gospels, right and he 's laying all of this uh, on a, a strong foundation of the scriptures, which at that time is what we, what we would reference as our Old Testament, right? So he's constantly been throughout his ministry, and, and repeated here, revisiting Old Testament stories, connecting the meaning of those stories to his life, and what his life is bringing about, right? He's, he's expanding in a lot of ways what it was that the nation of Israel, J- Jewish people, um, understood about the promised messiah about the kingdom that was coming about their purpose here on earth and so in the book of acts we're getting we're getting a continuation of that a little bit more depth right with every chapter that we step in so one of the first things they do jesus comes he presents his evidence he's sitting in in uh with them in the upper room he's talking to them he's teaching to them he's convincing them that he is alive um, he tells them to wait because the promised spirit, the counselor, someone that is greater than he, is coming okay and that 's kind of where we pick up in chapter two they 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 vote, they replace Judas the betrayer, right um, they're back to twelve, um, and they are now in a in a moment, a season, a period of waiting of longing for this promise to come the presence of the Holy Spirit, so that they can begin the active ministry that Jesus has commissioned them to do um, from that point forward. And that's where we jump in, that's, that's where we land, that's where we are right now here, the start of chapter 2. They're sitting in this upper room, they are waiting for the promised Holy Spirit, they are spending time in scriptures, in prayer, in fellowship, in worship of the God Almighty right? Longingly expecting him to fulfill his promises. One of the things Ellis touched on last week was when we're in moments of uncertainty, this is our recipe, what the disciples are doing here. It's laid out clear as can be. If you're uncertain about something in life, here's what you do. You spend time in the scriptures, in prayer, and in worship. And you keep doing those things until the Holy Spirit gives you clarity and direction, right? So for a lot of us, that answers a really big question that we're facing right now, right here today, right? You may be in a period of uncertainty about a future job, about a decision around school, about your children, about your parents, whatever it may be, when you're facing a period of uncertainty, stop. Visit the scriptures. Rest on God's promises. Run to him in prayer. Shower him with worship. Remind yourself and the people around you of his goodness, of his truth, of his promises. And when you do those things you are setting yourself up to be receptive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So here we are in Acts chapter 2, um, Pentecost, right? Uh, this is a really cool passage of scripture, and I'm going to do my best to not, like, spoil what we're going to be learning in a couple of weeks on the actual Pentecost Sunday, uh, calendar found fell a little weird we couldn't get pentecost on pentecost right so we're going to talk about it today we're going to visit a little bit of the historical and background context and uh and hopefully this will give you guys a foundation that in a couple of weeks when we're sitting and we're learning um what pastor bill from our from our patterson park church shares with you is just going to light you on fire right um so <clears throat> If you guys remember, if you've been paying attention, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know um, that leading up to Easter this year, uh, we were in a series where we were asking, why did Jesus have to die, right? And we're looking at this um, secondary uh, story that Jesus was stepping into from the Old Testament, the story of exile, of Passover, right? Right? Um, The nation of Israel was enslaved in bondage in Egypt. Passover is a story. It's a festival. It's a festival, a celebration of God delivering them out of bondage, out of exile, into the promised land. Okay? And, And so... All of that meaning is wrapped into the festival of Passover and Jesus' story. God is is taking that story, that exile, that restoration, and he is adding incredible depth and meaning. And I believe he's doing the same thing here with the festival of Passover or the feast of um, weeks. You may have heard. You also may have heard it called Shavuot. I probably didn't pronounce that correctly but that's okay so pentecost was another of of three um three festivals that devout jewish men uh, made a pilgrimage from wherever they lived to jerusalem to celebrate an important moment in their history and to practice worshiping god around something very significant to their people so we're stepping in at this moment into the city of Jerusalem around a very important festival where people from all over the world have gathered together to celebrate God's goodness. In this case, it's attached to the harvest, right? Uh, so in, in Israel as part of their story, um, they, they have a grain harvest that happens a little bit earlier than, than what we would celebrate in America. Typically, harvest time for us is, is August, right? Fall. Um, but they have an early grain harvest in, in the Middle East. And what happened around the festival of the feasts was that the first fruits of their grain harvest they brought into the temple and offered as an offering to God, thanking him for what he had given and waiting in expectation for the completion, the the last fruits, the finishing of that harvest, right? So they're bringing this before him. They're laying it before him saying, God, thank you for how you've blessed us. We are expecting you to bring this full crop to fruition, okay? So that story is all wrapped up in this festival. And the people of Israel have come into Jerusalem to present these offerings in the temple as part of this celebration, as an offering to the Lord, as a celebration at the same time as an expectation that God was with them. But Pentecost also connects to something else in Israel's history, right? Just like Passover connected to the exodus from uh, Egypt, Pentecost is also connected to 50 days after that exodus when Israel has been walking through the desert and they come to Mount Sinai. Um, And for those of you that know Israel's story, that maybe have studied, you know that at Mount Mount Sinai, um, they arrive at this place, they've been uh, delivered right the the parting of the sea has already happened now they're here they're out in the middle of the desert and moses goes up on this mountain he disappears for a while and he comes down from the mountain with the word of the lord the law written on stone right this is a significant moment for the nation of israel God has spoken to them, has given them a new way of living, has laid out his expectations for what they are to be from this point forward. So we have this First Fruits Festival that's attached to this other very significant moment of God laying out the law something they celebrated, they were excited about because that law brought life and it brought meaning and it gave them purpose, okay? So all of this background, all of this history is tied into this festival and the reason why people from every nation on earth, as it says here in Acts, every nation under heaven, have gathered here in the city of Jerusalem. Now, it's really easy... For, for Luke, in this case, uh, to operate under the assumption that Theophilus would know what's going on here, right? So he doesn't go into all of this detail because pretty much, if you lived anywhere near Jerusalem, you knew what was happening right now. It was impossible to miss. It was like the biggest festival we have in the city, uh, w- the race, right? Everyone that lives here in, uh, in Baltimore knows Marathon Weekend, because everything is messed up, right? You can't get into the city. If you do get into the city, you can't get out of the city. Like, it's chaos for a whole day, right? Well, this is times 10, right? Thousands of people are coming in. Everyone from the region, whether you were a practicing Jew or not, knew the festival of Passover. You knew the festival of Pentecost. You knew what was going on. So Luke... Making some assumptions, Theophilus knows this story. He making some assumptions that the re- other readers would also know it, so he doesn't go into those details. <clears throat> he also is assuming that Theophilus is going to connect the dots between the Mount Sinai law story, right? This this powerful deliverance of. Um, <clears throat> god's law his word to his people and this story here of tongues and wind of fire and something miraculous coming from heaven right and so it's important for us as modern western people to understand that there is incredible detail in how God has operated throughout all of eternity. The stories in the Old Testament were not by accident. They were on purpose. They were a sign of what was to come. The exodus from Egypt was a sign of the deliverer that was Jesus. Right? The law coming down from the mountain at Sinai was a sign of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And we've got to connect those dots because if we don't, we're going to miss the meaning. We're not going to understand the depth of God's love, how he is intentionally moving his people through history to do something special, right? And that's what's happening here, something special. And God intends for not just the people in Jerusalem at this time to benefit from that, but each and every one of us today. So, Pentecost was not just about the first fruits. It's also about God giving to his redeemed people a way of life by which they must now carry out his purposes, right? And that's what's happening here. God is giving his people an expansion of that way of life. It's not the law as they understood it. It's bigger than that, right? His redeemed people, which now includes us in this story, we've got to find ourselves in this, God is giving us a way of life by which we must now carry out his purposes. So we have these complementary stories. Jesus, the Exodus, the law, the Holy Spirit. It's all coming together because God is up to something the risen jesus who died who freed us from our sins has now left this reality and has taken a piece of the new earth to heaven it is seated at the throne of god and it has begun god's work of a new heaven and a new earth is happening right so jesus ascends into heaven he takes this redeemed earth with him to the heavenly realm and he sends to our realm a piece of the new heaven in the holy spirit Earth is now in heaven. Heaven is now coming to earth. And that's what's happening here in the story of Pentecost. The point is to transform earth with the power of heaven. That was God's point all along. Both in the Old Testament story and especially here. God is at work transforming earth. And he starts with the parts of earth that consist physically, our hearts, our minds, the lives of his followers, this community of believers that are gathered in an upper room all together in one place. The spirit that's coming is binding them. It's uniting them. Unity. It's all over this passage. We see that as we continue into it in the example of the languages. And we're going to get into that in just a minute. But we, we need to understand, okay? The believers are sitting in the upper room. They are waiting for God to move. The spirit comes a rushing wind, tongues of fire, miracles are happening. More physical, literal, undeniable examples that Jesus is risen, God is at work, we can't deny it, right? So there's a room full of witnesses, not just that room full of witnesses. But this passage says, now these miracles, this this. Cementing of God's reality is expanding beyond just his believers. Because there's a crowd somewhere nearby, perhaps in the temple, they're somewhere near the temple because it says that they've been back and forth to the temple, that hears this same wind that the disciples in the upper room heard. They experienced it, they saw it, they felt it, they heard it, and they're moving towards it to try and figure out what in the world is going on, right? So you have this crowd of people from every nation under heaven that have now gathered around the disciples, walk out of the upper room, and another miracle takes place. The believers start speaking, and these people that have gathered that are from Dozens of other countries, basically everywhere that the nation of Israel has been scattered on earth right that 's what this list includes you 've got southern europe you 've got northern africa you 've got all over the middle east you 've even extended into asia so All of the places that the nation of Israel has been scattered because of their disobedience through the Assyrian and the Babylonian and all the Roman occupations that have taken place, God has drawn them all together, and they are hearing the disciples speak in their native tongues. Now, it's most likely that most of these people understood Greek because... Like today, how English covers most of the globe, Greek at the time was the common language. And so we've got a group of people here that are surprised because they're expecting to hear Greek in this setting. But instead, every word that's being spoken, they're hearing in their native tongue whatever nation they're from, but they're all hearing it simultaneously and it's not adding up. How can these men, these Gentiles, not just Gentiles, these are men from Galilee. Galilee, for those of you that don't know, was a rural section of Israel. So it would be for us like saying hillbillies. Okay, And when I say that word, some of you understand the context. By calling them Galileans, they are implying they are uneducated hillbillies that are somehow speaking in languages they should not understand. They are communicating great truths to us, and the whole crowd is baffled. Because God's Spirit, the power of heaven is being unleashed. Luke is in the process of laying out to Theophilus, somebody who no doubt is here, has heard of this story later, right? how this group of uneducated men came to make and create the influence that he, they have in the region. Because I'm sure that Theophilus, this is one of the questions that he, that he asks, how did these men do all of this? They're from Galilee. The same thing was said of Jesus multiple times. What good comes from Nazareth, right? It's the same implication there. So we're stepping into this story and we're seeing this miracle of the Holy Spirit take place that is so confusing That is so unexpected, but yet so powerful. And God is telling us, as Jesus had always been telling us, this is his promise. He has promised to give us the power of heaven here on earth through his Holy Spirit to change the world. God longs to give that Holy Spirit to his people. If you paid any attention to Jesus' words throughout his ministry, you know that. That's what he taught about. God longs to bless his people, to bless his creation, to interact with them. That's why he created Eden the way he did. It's why he walked with his creation in the garden. That's how it was always supposed to be. Us walking alongside him in perfect fellowship, experiencing the fullness of his love, the fullness of his power, not just for ourselves, but for every one and everything else. So here in Acts two, we have a series of miracles. We have the rushing sound of the wind that grabbed everyone's attention. We have the tongues of fire falling on the believers in the upper room. And we have this weird interaction with the crowd where they're hearing multiple languages simultaneously. No doubt talking to each other about like what's going on here. Everyone's confused. So confused that some people, the only way they could justify it was to say they must be drunk. They must be drunk. There's another other reasonable explanation here, right? They're hearing babbling that's making sense. What? These guys must have had a little too much wine this morning. It's awful early for that, but hey, how else do we explain this, Right? But I think there's another bit of story that God is connecting to here through this uh, example um, that we need to remember. If, if, if you guys know the story in Genesis, the promises that were made to Abraham, in Genesis 12, I believe, I can verify, yeah, 12, in Genesis 12, we have the story of the Tower of Babel, right? And in this story, in the Old Testament, man attempts to build this great tower to reach the heavens to become like God, right? And God, in that moment, comes down and he splits the people and he divides them by creating languages so they can no longer communicate together, so they can no longer understand each other, Confusion, separation, for the first time, has entered mankind. There was a curse from this moment. This moment of disobedience created a curse that thousands of years later, 2,000 years ago, in the book of Acts, man is still suffering from. And so, just like God is in the business of redeeming his people from exile, he's also in the business of undoing the brokenness that we have brought upon ourselves. And that's what's happening here in this story. It's, it's no mistake, on my, from, from my perspective, that this is what God starts with. Because he wants his creation to be united not only with him, but with each other. And he's about to change everything in terms of his church, his body, because we're moving from the chosen nation of Israel to this brand new expression that includes Gentiles and Samaritans and all of these other people. And that only happens if the curse of Babel, the language that divided us, is also undone. Right. So here in this moment, this miracle that's taking place is a physical representation of God's healing power. The curse that divided us is no longer. God has overcome it. It is broken. We are now ready to be united as one body, one people, male, female, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, black, white, right? That's what's happening here. God is destroying the curse. And he is unleashing a powerful force on this earth that as we continue through this book of Acts, we are going to see multiple miracles. We're going to hear how the early believers took this message, took this power, took this truth from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, to the othermost parts of the earth. And it's all started because exile has been fixed. The law wow. has been perfected, the curse has been undone. The power of God is now in control. So, what do we do with that? right what does that mean for us today well a lot and we're going to learn about that uh for the next 40 plus weeks but for this morning uh i think it means a, a couple of little things and i'm not going to give us answers this morning i'm going to give us some some thoughts to chew on um that we're going to continue to revisit uh This next section in uh, Acts 2, Peter gives a really, really powerful sermon and another miracle happens, right? Um, So I'm not going to spoil it, so to speak, but I want to ask us a few things. I want us to think about some things. First and foremost, we have to be prepared for wind and fire. not only prepared, but expecting it. We've got to be ready for some drastic spring cleaning, if you will, of those dusty, dirty parts of our lives that God's spirit is going to come and clean out, going to refine, right? That's, that's what f- purpose of fire, it burns away. not just in our lives, but in our culture, in our communities, in this world. We've got to be ready for it, not just ready for it. We've got to be expecting it. We've got to be studying the scriptures, praying and worshiping expectantly in our own versions of the upper room. We also... have to grow to a place that we no longer doubt that God will give his spirit to all who ask of it. For some of us, that's a pretty big hurdle. Do we believe that God will do what he says he will do? That when we ask him for his spirit, no matter the need, that he'll deliver it? We gotta wrestle with that because our purpose here on earth depends on it, right? A spirit-led life, assuming that we're walking in obedience and faith, is one that is enabled to uniquely bring glory to God. And we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, and if you continue on reading through the stories in the New Testament, that each of these believers in this upper room had a different path, a different journey, had a different unique purpose. The Spirit manifested itself in each of the church leaders in different ways. And it's still doing that today. God, the creator of this universe, the author of all of these things, the source of this power, can do whatever he chooses to do. It's not up to us to set the bounds and, and define what that means. And I've got to tell you, church, this is where I struggle. Because a lot of times when I'm praying for that Holy Spirit of the Lord, I'm praying for something very specific. and I get disappointed sometimes when the Spirit doesn't manifest like I thought it should. So do, do we A, trust that the Spirit is coming, that God has made this promise, that he's going to fulfill that promise? Do we B, trust God so much that even if it comes in a way we're not expecting, we can still give glory and honor to him. The gospel, the spirit, the power of heaven in us is intended for a purpose. To make an impact on someone or something and that thing, most likely, is so difficult to impact or to penetrate or to change that we need a supernatural power to do it the powers of this world are not little things we've got to remember that because far too often we try to walk in our own knowledge our own understanding, our own strength and we cannot defeat the powers of this world on our own we need the spirit of God so Here is our final question. Well, a question that has a little few other questions attached, right? Do our churches or our lives, do our churches or our lives today have enough energy and enough spirit-driven life to make onlookers comment like they do in this story in Acts? Are they commenting at all? Has anything happened in and among us that might make people think we are drunk because they can't explain it otherwise? And if not, why? Is that because the Spirit is up to something different? Or is it because we have so successfully quenched the Spirit that there's nothing happening at all? That's our takeaway this morning, guys. Right there. Does this church, do our individual lives... Have enough energy, enough spirit driven life to make onlookers notice and comment. Because that's our purpose. And if it doesn't, we've got to do some really hard introspection and adjustment. Because the power. Of heaven, God himself, we claim when we celebrate the spirit, when we sing the songs that we sang this morning, when we join into the work of the kingdom of heaven here on earth, we claim a power that is noticeable. So why isn't it noticeable? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, truly thankful for the beautiful stories of scripture that someone took the time to document your interaction and your movement here on earth. We are. Um, we're often confused by it. We're often afraid of it. We're often uncertain. But God, we want to know you more. We want to live in this power that is represented in this story in Acts chapter 2. We want to be a part of your kingdom work here on earth. So God, as we sit, as this, as this truth penetrates our heart, as we wrestle with why or why not, onlookers have commented I pray, God, that you would give us clarity that as we continue to gather together, whether it's here on Sunday mornings or in our small groups throughout the week or just sitting at a dinner table with a close friend, I pray um, that we would seek your face, that we would set aside time for prayer and for worship And for the studying of your scriptures. That we would prepare ourselves and our hearts for a filling of your Holy Spirit. Because God, we want to be what you've created us to be. To walk in your purposes. So Lord, we just pray today as we um, step into uh, this next portion of our service, and as we go from here, um, that your spirit would speak. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.